Good morning, everyone. Over the last several weeks, we've been on a new series. It's called The Foundations of Our Faith. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the foundation of baptism and how important that is. Now, baptism can be a tricky topic in some church circles. Some people say that water baptism isn't necessary for salvation. And that's true because the Bible tells us that we are saved by faith in Christ, right? But then there are some other people who say, well, you can't be saved unless you are baptized. And I'll tell you that that's not true. So we can look back at Calvary and we can see the criminal that died on the cross beside Christ. And Jesus told him what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, Bible doctrine, all of it, helps us to determine God's will for our life. Bible doctrine is kind of like guardrails, roadmap to keep us grounded in our faith. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about baptism, why it's important in the life and a follower of Jesus Christ, because it is very important why we should be baptized and reasons why we should not be baptized, but most importantly, what baptism represents. So if you got your Bibles or your iPhones, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to look through verses 1 through 17. Now, this is the story of Jesus' baptism. You'll find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And any time that, that God repeats a story over and over again, the purpose of that is so that we'll get it, that it's important. And so you'll, you'll see that. Here's what it says beginning in verse 17. It said, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now this is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and honey and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourself that that we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up chaff. With an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so for now. For it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out up out of the water at that moment. Heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, This is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. The first thing that Jesus did when he began his earthly ministry was to be baptized. The last thing that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to heaven was to go and preach the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so I want to tell you this morning that we should never minimize what God has emphasized in his word. You say, well, Bill, why was the baptism of Jesus so important? I'm going to look at some of these verses in here. And we're going to learn some things about what God was actually doing during that time. It says here that then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. You know, it would seem that that John's baptism of Jesus was, was just totally inappropriate. I mean, after all, Jesus had no sin. He he didn't need to repent. He had no need to ask for forgiveness. So then why did Jesus think it was proper for him to be baptized? He says here in this verse, he said, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. You see, John's baptism was not like our Christian baptism. The Jews at that time, that they were coming for repentance. They were coming for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus' baptism was not for him. His baptism was for them. And I want to explain that a little further. In the Old Testament, it was God's arrangement that priests like Moses, priests like Nehemiah, priests like Daniel... Their job was to to stand in the presence of God and they would confess or they would acknowledge the sins of the people of Israel. And so as that high priest, they stood in that place on their behalf. And so Jesus, when he went down into that water and he allowed himself to be baptized as God's righteous one, he was proclaiming that he was the last priest That he was the final sacrifice. And by proclaiming his priesthood, by allowing himself to be baptized, he was also confirming that John's message, that Jesus was who he was, and that he was legit. When Jesus, when he submitted himself to the, the baptism of John, What he was really doing was he was identifying himself with the sinful people of Israel. That's what he was doing. And when he did that, he was willingly consenting to be counted as a sinner, even though he was not. We know the scripture, right? For God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might attain the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus is willingly consenting to a a public baptism was also an act of humility that he would leave us to follow later on. And so let's look at a biblical baptism in the book of Acts. If you will, turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at 26 through 40. Now in this particular uh, portion of scripture, we know there's two Philips in the Bible. 
There's Philip the apostle, which there's not a whole lot of information on him. But there's this other Philip, and, and he's an evangelist. And there is quite a bit of information in the Bible about him. This particular story is about a eunuch who was to be baptized. Philip happened to come upon the scene by the power of God. And, and it kind of shows the essential elements that are needed for a biblical baptism. Listen to the word of God. It says, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got ready and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, which was a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to, to come and sit with him. And the passage that they were reading was this. He was led like a sheep to a slaughter. And like a lamb that is silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along, they, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. And they both ordered the chariot to stop. And they went down into the water as well as Philip. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch is no longer to be found and saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found his, himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, you know God. You know that he's a God of order, and he does things in that way. And so in this particular pieces of Scripture, we can see the why, the when, the where, and the how of a biblical baptism. It says here that the first thing that Philip did is he opened his mouth. You know, we, we tend to think foolishly that we can evangelize people by our lifestyle, right? We think that our niceness will make them accept Jesus. But the problem is there's lots of nice sinners too, aren't there? There's lots of, of nice sinners. I will tell you that yes, we should all be kind and polite. The Bible tells you and me that faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. Is that true? Now we can't live our life till people can see Jesus, but we need to open our mouth. When we look, we see that Philip here, he said he preached Jesus to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we can all learn a lot from Philip. We can't pastors and people 
that he simply preached Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the hope in Christ. Too many times that we invite people to our church instead of inviting them into a loving, caring relationship with the person of Jesus. It says, as we go along, that they came to some water. Now, I will tell you this. A biblical baptism is not a sprinkling of water. It's not a dabble of water. There's this certain amount of water. And it's important to notice in the scripture that we read a few minutes ago that it says that that they both went down into the water and they both came up out of the water, including who? Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to fight with any denominations this morning, but I'm just telling you, That sprinkling is not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is it to be found. It says here that this eunuch went on and they come across the water. And he says, look, water. And I find it amazing that the proper biblical response, when someone has had Jesus preach to their heart and their heart responds to the good gospel of Jesus Christ, they immediately have this desire, like this eunuch, to be obedient. To absolutely be obedient. He recognized that the time to be baptized was immediately. Right after he had received the word. I see many people who often want to delay or put off baptism. You'll see by these scriptures that that's not necessarily biblical. He says this. What prevents me from being baptized? Now this eunuch made the correct response. After you'd heard of the gospel. The correct response was, hey, I don't want to delay being obedient to God. People should be and might want to delay being baptized. The best reason is if you never accepted Christ. Remember me saying earlier that, that there are things that God has things in order. So many people are baptized. They never accepted Christ. They're no more saved than my Labrador retriever. So the only thing that really happened is that they got wet. Baptism follows a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's the reason to be baptized. And I know that baptism, because I've heard it from people, I've had the opportunity to lead many people to Christ. Uh, It's one of the things that's really important to my heart. Many times I hear people say, well, baptism is inconvenient. You know, it's kind of awkward. And I'll hear things, well, you know, the timing's just not right. I, I'm just busy. I, I'll let you know when, when I'm ready. And I even heard people say, you know, well, I'm shy. I, I'm not much for getting up in front of people, you know. I even had this lady, this was years ago, I led her to the Lord and trying to set up a, a baptism. And she says, you know, I can't do it Saturday. Because, I mean, I can't do it this Sunday because I'm getting my hair done Saturday. And, you know, it's, it's not good to be wasteful because the Lord says so, right? Yeah, so you can hear all kinds. I've heard people say, well, at, right after accepting Christ, well, I just don't feel moved today to be baptized. You know, some people don't get baptized because they want to do the drive before you buy Christianity. That's meaning that they want to make sure that they can keep all the commitments of being a Christian before... They submit to a public baptism. I think the hardest one for people 
The reason why they would delay baptism is because of their pride. Wouldn't you say? Simply because of their pride. People think, well, God, I've been going to church for 15, 20 years. Everybody thinks I'm saved. What are people going to think if I get up there and I get baptized? What are they going to think? You know, I think it was humbling for Jesus to be identified with sinners. You agree? I'll tell you this morning that God will never make it convenient to kill our pride. He won't do it. He'll never make it convenient to kill our pride. Now, here are some reasons why I think that you shouldn't get baptized. First one is to to gain approval of others. I've seen so many times that, that people are baptized because they feel this peer pressure from their friends. Or there's eager parents. They want to get their children baptized before they've made a a confession before Christ. I've even seen in youth groups where people do it because they just want to be a part of something because everybody else is doing it. That's a wrong reason. Here's another wrong reason. Turning over a new leaf. You've probably heard that one before. Turning over a new leaf. A lot of times people wrongly think that or want to use baptism as a stepping stone for a start over or a do over for their life. Baptism doesn't hold that kind of power. A new start begins with a new heart that's first given to Jesus. That has to come first to gain something from God. Some people foolishly believe that if they're baptized, that God will love them. That God will accept them. And we know that we're only accepted because what? Our faith and our love for Jesus Christ. And we still shouldn't do anything for the wrong motives. Your pastor told you to. Now, I'm not talking about listening to wise counsel and carefully considering everything that they've told you. But you should never be baptized. One, unless you've been born again and you've been convinced and uh, corrected by the Holy Spirit to be baptized. That's a reason not to. An emotional high. I have seen, particularly in today's culture with mega churches and everything else that's going on, people just want to be part of a powerful experience over and over and over again. So they're baptized three, four, five, six, seven times. That's not a reason to be baptized. You say, well, Bill, well, then what is the right reason? Hold on a minute. I'm going to paint you two pictures. And to show you why it's it's important to be baptized. Now, if you will, turn to Romans 6, 1 through 10. Because Paul begins to, to paint this picture. But he does so because he's answering a really silly question. There were people who were asking this question. They knew that that grace is greater than sin. And so they were asking, hey, you know what? Maybe if I sin more, that means I can get more grace. Listen to what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? Paul says, by no means. I can see Paul saying, are you kidding me? Are you really thinking that if you sin more, that you'll get more grace? That's how foolish that it sounds. 
Or do you not know? We who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or do you know, not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that we too may walk in the newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You know, it's probably safe to say that everybody in this room here has been to a funeral, right? We've listened to a message and we've ended up going to the graveside where it all seems to come to an end. Do you realize that baptism is much like a funeral? It's the only time that you can announce the time of your funeral. It's the only time that you can ask your friends and family to come to your funeral. It's really also the only time that you get to preach your own funeral. You see, this baptismal pool right here, it gives a biography of your life. It shows you your past. It shows you your present. And it shows you your future all at once. And so I want to show you these scripture to you in the scripture. In God's eyes, this baptismal pool is a watery tomb. This baptismal pool is a watery tomb. And look at this scripture. He says, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The moment that we accept Jesus Christ, that we literally Come into him, him into us. It is just as if the day he died, the day that you died. And so when a person comes and they make that uh, confession of Christ and they come down into the water, there's a dead man there. There's a dead man there. And so when we get to this place and we're getting ready to have a baptism in just a few minutes. Okay, And no one hates baptism more than the devil. He's going to be crying. He's going to have his handkerchief out. He's going to be whining. He's going to be grieving. And here's why. He said, oh, no, there goes another one. There goes my old girl, Angela. There goes my, my old boy, William. Oh, no, there he goes. I just lost another one. And so when that person is baptized, they go down into the water because they're united with Christ in their belief. They go down into the water just as if they're going down into that grave, that watery tomb. And all the past, all the shame, all the guilt, all the legal guilt, the penalty is done away with. And when that person comes up, it represents this part of the Scripture. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may walk in the newness of life. And when that person comes up out of that water, it represents the the new life that Jesus promised. The old is gone. The the new has come. second part is this. 
He says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so when that person comes up, there's, there's this looking forward. There's this, this new hope. The Bible says that one day the, the heavens are going to open. The trumpet is going to sound. The graves will be open. And we're going to be resurrected. That old body that if, we're, if we have died and we're buried into the ground, it's going to open up. And we're going to be joining Jesus in the air. And it says that we'll partake with a resurrection like his. That's what that represents. And so we're going to have a baptism right now for three of our people. And remember what I told you. Just look at the picture. get the picture you see the picture you see baptism represents this that a person's relationship to sin has changed therefore their relationship to the son has changed i'll say that again when a person is baptized it shows that the relationship to sin has changed because the relationship to the son has changed now that's a pretty neat picture But I want to paint you another picture of what baptism really represents. And that is one of a wedding. We've all been to a wedding, haven't we? Most of us have, right? At any wedding that you go to, there are just certain elements, just like baptism. If you go to a wedding, there's going to be an exchange of vows. There's going to be an exchange of rings. There's even going to be witnesses there. And this ring that you wear is a ring that you wear for all of your days. For all of your days. Now, I will tell you that a wedding ring don't make you married. 
A wedding ring don't even keep you married. Wedding ring doesn't even promise a, a relationship of love. It's the vows and the commitment that you made to your spouse that does that. In the same way, baptism doesn't save us. It's our vows and our commitment and our acceptance of Christ that saves us. It's our vows and our acceptance of Christ. You say, well, Bill, well, then why bother with the rings? Because it's about imagery, just like it was with baptism. Baptism is this outward expression of this eternal love, this thing that's happened on the inside of us. When a person puts a ring on their finger, it's that person willingly putting them in a loving covenant relationship with the person that they love. And we're baptized. It's the same thing. You say, well, Bill, God, if I don't wear my ring, does that mean I'm not married? Of course not. Remember, it's your vows, right? It's your vows that makes you married. You say, well, if I don't wear my ring, then does that mean I don't love my spouse? Probably not. But I think it should give you some concern. Because if you love your spouse as much as you profess that you do, why would you not wear your ring? Wouldn't you want the world to know that you have someone that's very special and dear to you? You would, right? In the same way, if you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, wouldn't you want the world to know that you've made a commitment to him through public baptism. It's a way of saying to Jesus, hey, I'm in love. I, I, I'm taken. It's a way for you to, to wear Jesus' ring unashamedly for all the rest of your days. That's what it, it represents. And that you love Jesus above all else. That he's the most important thing to you. You say, well, Bill, what should be my attitude towards baptism. Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 2 41, it says this. People were, were being uh, evangelized. They were hearing the word of God. Here's what it says in verse 2. Excuse me, Acts 2 verse 41. It said, then they gladly received the word and were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, gladly means with pleasure right? And it means with joy. And so when a person refuses or wants to delay baptism, it's obvious that they haven't really received the word with joy. They haven't received the word with gladness. You know, and then the other problem we have, the Bible says that uh, a Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, a disciple does what? A disciple follows. And if you're not following the example of Jesus Christ, good opportunity that you're probably not a disciple of Christ because you're unwilling to be baptized. Now, there are some churches who say, you know, you must be uh, to join a church that you have to be baptized. Some even say, you know, you, you have to be baptized if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I think all that is legalism. I don't think that's a whole lot of love in that. We're baptized because we love Jesus and we want to be obedient to him. You know, when a person is baptized, they're not only baptized into Christ and his death, his burial, resurrection. They're also baptized into the, the family of God. It lets people know that, hey, listen, I'm not a lone ranger in my faith. I'm not here to do this by myself. It's you placing yourself in a loving relationship with other children of God. 
willing to be accountable to others and be part of a family. He said, well, what's the big deal about baptism at CFM? Remember me telling you it was kind of like a wedding? You see, when we have a, a baptism like this, it's like the reception at a wedding, right? We're all here to celebrate what, what is happening, what God is doing in this person's life. We want to give God the glory that he deserves. It's just like being part of that. And so you can see that baptism, two things. It's an obligation. It's a privilege. We're baptized because Jesus commanded us to, and we obey him because we love him. Those two things. You know, you can tell your spouse, and you can tell your friends that you love them, but if there's no demonstration of that love, that person has every right to doubt whether you truly love them or not, don't they? Whether you truly love them or not. You see, Jesus demonstrated his love for us by dying for us, giving his life for us. Baptism gives us the very first opportunity to demonstrate our love for Jesus. And that's what baptism is all about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us, for giving us an example of obedience, Lord, and just loving you. Thank you for Romans who points out, Lord, these truths, the importance of the doctrine of baptism. Lord, let us take those things, not lightly, very seriously. And those, Lord, who have accepted Christ, thank you for painting that picture for them. That their past is no more, they're gone. Lord, that their present is the hope that lies within them. And God, as we look forward to the future, Lord, that the hope of the great resurrection, you're coming and you're calling. We thank you, God, that all that is made possible because of Christ. And Lord, we love you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.